Welcome to the Valley Avon Podcast, a weekly podcast provided by Valley Community Baptist Church, located in Avon, Connecticut. This week marks the beginning of our new sermon series titled, How to Leave a Legacy. Your legacy is the long-lasting effect of your life. In the first message of the new series, Pastor Rob explores how to start building your legacy. Let's listen now. Let's pray together. Gracious God, we wait eagerly for all that you plan to do through Jesus Christ. We long for that day when he returns and we see him face to face. But God, we ask then, what is it that you want to do with this day? What is it that you want to do in us? What is it that you want to do through us? We pray today, God, would you show us what you want to do in and through us? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Today, as we begin this series on legacy, we're asking the question, how can we start building a legacy the right way? How can we start building a legacy the right way? When you look at King David in the Old Testament, David built a rich and deep, beautiful legacy. You see, David began his life as the youngest son in his family and as a shepherd, and he ended his life as the king of God's people. God chose him to replace the first king of Israel, Saul. God rejected Saul because he was faithless to God, and he chose David to be king because he saw in David's heart a heart that beat for God and for God alone. Now, the interesting thing is that David was a very complicated man. He sinned grievously against God on multiple occasions in his life. But at the same time, David loved God deeply, a love that came out in his poetry, in in the music that he made, and in his obedience to God. David was able to expand the kingdom. He was able to secure Jerusalem as its capital, and he was able to secure the borders and the safety of the people in the kingdom. And he, he planned to, wanted to, build a house, a temple, where God could be worshipped. But God told him, nope, that job is going to fall to your son. You see, David wanted to build a house for God, but instead, God promised to build a house for David, a dynasty. You see, God promised that David would always have a member of his family who would reign over God's people forever. David built a rich legacy. David tried to hand this legacy down to his son, Solomon. Now, David had a number of male children, and there was a bit of confusion about who his heir would be, who the next king of Israel would be, But David had received a message from God that Solomon was to be his heir. Solomon was the one to build the temple. And so as 1 Kings dawns, the beginning of the book, we find David needing to take steps to secure the reign and the right of Solomon to be king of Israel and Judah. And then we find David trying to shape his son. David says to his son very clearly, I want you to walk in the statutes and the laws and the ordinances of God. I want you to do everything that you have to do to secure your reign, and I want you to build a house 
for God, a temple where God can be worshiped. That's your job. That's the legacy that David tried to hand off to Solomon. Now, as we begin to think about legacy today, we have to ask the question, what is a legacy? What is a legacy? And a legacy is the long-lasting effect of our lives. Now, there are a lot of meanings to the word legacy. And sometimes, though, most frequently, legacy refers to something that we leave behind after our death, frankly. And a legacy can be something tangible that we leave behind, like a financial gift or a possession that we give to a particular person. But sometimes the legacy that we leave behind is a bit less tangible. It can be the strength that we give to someone, the values that we teach, the faith that we pass along. But the definition that we're using of legacy in this series is it is the long-lasting effect of our lives. That's our legacy. And there are natural points in our lives where we ask the question, what is my legacy going to be? When we have children, if we choose to have children, we ask the question at that point, what is my legacy going to be to them, in them, and through them? As we approach middle life at times, we ask the question, what is this legacy that I am building? Perhaps if we face a life-threatening illness, we ask the question, what would my legacy be? Or as we approach retirement, we begin to think about legacy. At these points in life, we're asking, what is the long-lasting effect of my life going to be? And hopefully at those points, we ask the question, God, what do you want my legacy to be? And so we're going to turn now to the life of Solomon, the king. And as we do so, we're going to be asking questions about legacy. Now, we're going to take a whirlwind tour over the next few weeks through the life of King Solomon. We're, we're really going to hit the very highest of points, a point at the beginning, the middle, and the end of the reign of Solomon. And as we do so, we're going to be asking questions about our own legacy, and we're going to see how the question of legacy touches all of these chapters in Solomon's life. And we're going to come away with a deeper understanding of how we start, build, and preserve a legacy that lasts beyond us. Now, as we do so, we're going to begin seeing that Solomon started his reign with the possibility of a very rich legacy. But as we begin 1 Kings chapter 3, what we're going to see instead is a man who is divided in his attention. He is, his life is being pulled in two different directions. Let's read 1 Kings chapter 3, verses 3 and 4. They say, Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of David his father, only he sacrificed and made offerings at the high places. And the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was the great high place. Solomon used to offer a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. Now, 1 Kings chapter 3 dawns as Solomon has just secured his reign. And immediately after securing his reign, he turns to foreign powers. He makes an alliance with Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to secure the future of his empire. And he secures that alliance by marrying Pharaoh's daughter. And so right at the beginning of Solomon's reign, we find him 
reaching out to foreign powers, marrying foreign wives, and adopting foreign ways for the people of Israel. If you move forward from 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 1 to verse 2, you're going to find that there are some problems going on in Israel as well. Verse 2 tells us that the people of Israel in this day were worshiping in what the Bible calls the high places. Now, before the people of God took possession of the promised land, the Canaanites who lived there would worship their gods at those high places, on the tops of hills, on, on the sides of mountains. It was a place of pagan worship. And when the people of Israel came and took over the promised land, they kicked the Canaanites out, but they kept worshiping at those high places, even though worshiping at those high places was specifically forbidden to them in the law. In Deuteronomy chapter 12, verses 13 and 14, Moses warned them about this very thing. He said, take care that you do not offer your burnt offerings at any place that you see, but at the place that the Lord will choose in one of your tribes. There you shall offer your burnt offerings, and there you shall do all that I am commanding you. And so now we come to verse 3, and we find Solomon being pulled in two different directions in verses 3 and 4. In verse 3, we read that Solomon loved the Lord, and he walks in the statutes and the ordinances of his father David, meaning he loved the Lord and he expressed that by obeying the law. He's being drawn toward God. But as we continue and read, we find that Solomon, like all the people of Israel at that time, was worshiping at the high places. He's worshiping at the greatest of all the high places, at Gibeon. And so there is a duality in his mind. He's being pulled in two different directions. He's obeying the Lord mostly, but he's worshiping at the high places. And then we find that in worshiping at these high places, though, he's offering an extravagant offering to the Lord. He's making thousands of burnt offerings to the Lord. And so at Gibeon, as we go on into verses 5 through 9, we discover that Solomon is invited to ask something of God, and we find that this person being pulled in two different directions asks the right thing from God. Verses 5 through 9 continue. At Gibeon... The Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, ask what I shall give you. And Solomon said, you have shown great and steadfast love to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in faithfulness, in righteousness, and in uprightness of heart toward you. And you have kept for him this great and steadfast love and have given him a son to sit on his throne this day. And now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of David my father, although I am but a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in, and your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people too many to be numbered or counted for multitude. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to govern this, your great people? 
And so we find Solomon praising God and expressing the problem all at the same time. God, who greatly loved his father David, out of David's love for God and God's steadfast love for David, has done a great thing for Solomon. He's made David's son king of Israel in place of his father David, a great gift that's been given to the nation, to Solomon. And yet Solomon finds himself completely unequal to the task. He says, God, this people that you have given me to govern, this is a great people. They're great in number, meaning that there's a lot of them. And beyond that, they're great in importance. They are a critical part of God's plan. And Solomon says, as I try to to govern this people, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm young. I'm, I'm, I'm naive. And God, what I really want then in my youngness and my naivete is the the discernment, the understanding to govern your people well. This is what Solomon asks from God. And as we continue in verses 10 through 14, we discover that God liked what he asked and gave him as a result unparalleled wisdom. Verses 10 through 14 continue. It pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. And God said to him, because you have asked this and have not asked for yourself long life or riches or the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right, behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind so that none like you has been before you and none like you shall arise after you. I give you also what you have not asked both riches and honor, so that no other king shall compare with you all your days. And if you will walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and my commandments as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. So God liked what it was that Solomon had asked. God liked the fact that Solomon didn't ask for riches or for uh, a long life or for the life of his enemies. And so, because Solomon asked for a mind that was capable of governing God's great people, God said, I'll give you that. I will give you a mind, meaning an internal faculty of understanding. He said, I will make that mind that you have discerning. And by discerning, he means you will have a mind that is capable of attending to the moment of of understanding the fine details of the moment and being present to make decisions. And having this mind that is discerning, God said, I will make this mind as well wise. And to say that his mind is wise means that he has the skill to complete the task of governing. And in having the skill to complete the task of governing, he will have a deep understanding when choices are presented to him of which choice is right, and then have the ability not only to see the right choice, but to make it and to follow through on it. God promises him a mind that is wise and discerning. And he says, in giving you this, no one will have wisdom like you. No one will have this kind of wise mind. No one before you and no one after you. And he adds, because you did not ask for other things, I will give you everything you didn't ask for. I will give you great wealth, more wealth than anybody else in the day. And if you follow me, as David has done, then in addition to that, I will give you long life. 
Now, Solomon responded to this invitation from God with single-minded devotion. In verse 15, we read, And Solomon awoke, and behold, it was a dream. Then he came to Jerusalem and stood before the ark of the covenant of the Lord and offered up burnt offerings and peace offerings and made a feast for all his servants. Solomon, in waking up, recognized that his encounter with God had been a dream, but he recognized that it wasn't a false dream, it was a vision, and God had indeed appeared to him in this vision. And he recognized that the promise that God had made to him was true. And with this new wise and discerning mind, Solomon knew the thing to do. He left Gibeon, and he went back to Jerusalem, and he went to the tabernacle, to the place where he should have been making offerings all along. And he made an offering there, in the place that God had commanded him to make an offering. And he gathered together all of his servants, and he threw a feast. And this feast was there to symbolize the fact that his mind is now made up. This wise and discerning mind that belonged to Solomon had made a decision. Solomon would walk with the Lord all the days of his life, and he would begin the process of building a godly legacy. However, as we look a little bit more closely, we see that there are questions hanging over Solomon's legacy. Questions hanging over Solomon's legacy. To understand why I say that there are questions hanging over Solomon's legacy, we have to back up to King David for just a minute. A lot of promises were made by God to King David that are unconditional, no conditions placed on them. For instance, God promised King David, I will give you descendants. No conditions, I will do it. God promised David that one of his descendants would build a temple. That's an unconditional promise, no conditions on it. And because of David's great love for God, God in his great love for David promised to build David's house and have it last forever. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 16, God said, and your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. And this is a promise that one of David's descendants, specifically Jesus, would rule forever over God's people. There are no ifs in any of these promises. These promises are unconditional. But as David tried to help Solomon understand the inheritance that he was passing along to Solomon, David pointed out the conditional nature of some of the promises that had been made in Solomon about his life. David, knowing that Solomon was about to become king, encouraged Solomon to live according to the law, to love God with all of his heart and express that love through obedience. And David recognized that everything hinged on Solomon's decision to follow God with his whole heart. In 1 Kings chapter 2, verse 4, after encouraging Solomon to walk with God in a full-hearted, single-minded way all of his life, David added that the Lord may establish his word that he spoke concerning me, saying, if your son pays close attention to their way to walk before me in faithfulness with all their heart and with all their soul, you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. 
if. This promise is conditional. David recognized in the midst of all the unconditional promises that had been made to him, there were conditional promises. It was conditional whether the house of David would be in uninterrupted rule over Israel, and it was conditional whether Israel would prosper or not. These promises were conditional. So some of the promises that God made to to Solomon were in fact conditional. Think back to chapter 3, verse 14. God told Solomon, if you follow me with your whole heart, all your life, then I will extend the days of your life. Now, if you do not follow me wholeheartedly, then I will not extend the days of your life. It's conditional. There is an if hanging over this promise. If you follow me with your whole heart and teach your sons to do the same, then there will be no interruption in the rule of the house of David over the kingdoms of Israel and Judah. However, if you do not follow me with your whole heart and teach your sons to do the same, there is no promise that there will not be an interruption in the house of David ruling over the kingdoms of Israel and Judah. If you lead the people of God toward me and they follow me, then the people of God will prosper in the land. However, if you do not lead the people of God toward me and they wander away from me, then they may not prosper and they may not stay in the land. Some of the promises made to Solomon were conditional, which means as Solomon begins his reign, there are questions hanging over his life. What kind of king will he be? Will he follow God with all his heart and soul and mind and strength, obeying God's statutes and ordinances as David, his father, had? Or not? Will Solomon lead the people of Israel toward God and toward obedience to God? Or not? Will Solomon pass along the kingdom that David, his father, had given to him intact to the next generations or not? At the beginning of Solomon's reign, so many questions hung over him because some of the promises made to him were conditional. Now, as we think about our own legacies, we recognize that there is a conditional element to our legacies as well. And we recognize the conditional element that hangs over our legacies as we think about the way that financial resources are passed from one generation to the next. We stand at the beginning of the largest transfer of generational wealth in history because people 70 and above right now hold $35 trillion worth of accumulated wealth. That is double the net wealth of that group of people just 20 or 30 years ago. And beyond that, just for scale, that's 1.5 times the GDP of the United States in a year. That's a lot of wealth. And that wealth is going to be transferred from those to some other place. Typically, that wealth is transferred from parents to children. 
But we have learned that the transfer of large sums of financial resources and their impact on the next generation is conditional. We've discovered that there is a pattern that when large sums of financial resources are passed along to the next generation, it's not certain that the next generation is going to do anything productive or helpful with it. In fact, there's a pattern that generational wealth follows. One generation earns it, the second generation conserves it, and the third generation spends it, and it is gone. So there is a deep conditionality to the transfer of wealth from one generation to the next. And so we are giving deep thought to how this generational wealth can be transferred. People are creating elaborate plans to maximize the ability that they have to transfer wealth from one generation to the next. But many people are making a new decision. Instead of handing everything over to their children, they're handing some wealth to their children, but putting a good portion of it in trust funds to ensure that their grandchildren can get an education and have a solid start in life. And others, like Warren Buffett, multi-billionaire, are deciding that the value of their wealth to the next generation is so conditional that the best thing to do with it is to give it away to charity during our lifetime. We're giving incredibly disciplined thought to the transfer of wealth from one generation to the next. Now, if we're giving that kind of thought to the transfer of generational wealth from one generation to the next, if we're giving that kind of thought to the transfer of our financial, tangible legacies, does it not make sense to give even more thought to the more important intangible legacies that we leave in life? Now, please understand this. Some promises that are given to us in life are unconditional. God's nature does not change. God's nature is constant. God is the same. He was and is and is to come. He is the same yesterday, today, and always. God's nature does not change. God's nature is unconditional. Grace is given to us freely, not conditionally. It's given to us freely. It's a gift. Romans chapter 6, verse 23 says, the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Now, we recognize that we have a responsibility to accept that gift. In fact, Romans chapter 10, verse 9 says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And you could read in there that it is actually conditional, but the decision is our responsibility, but the gift of grace and salvation is freely given to us in Jesus Christ. The gift is unconditional. We recognize that some aspects of our faith are unconditional. There is no if about it. But when it comes to the topic of legacy, our legacy is conditional, just as it was for Solomon. What is left behind after us, what we are known for, what we contribute to the world, is conditional. God has given us the gift of life, the days in which we are alive on this planet now to do something. In addition to life, God gives us gifts, very specific gifts, like financial resources, spiritual gifts, things that we are naturally good at, experiences that we have that make us better at certain things. We have passion that, that for important topics in life. 
Beyond that, we have the ability to witness and we have the ability to share and to pass our faith. God has given us so many gifts. We have lives, we have gifts, and we have spheres of influences, places that, that we have influence in. Sometimes the influence we have is in our home. Sometimes the influence we have is, is among our friends. Sometimes the influence we have is in our community. Sometimes the influence we have is in our places of work, places that, that we serve and, and lead. We have spheres of influence. And our legacy boils down to the way that we spend the days that we have, how we use those gifts during those days in the places where we have influence. Our legacy is a factor of the lives that we live, the gifts that we have, and the ways that we use them in our spheres of influence. And our legacy, it turns out, is conditional. If we waste the days that we have, the gifts that we've been given in the sphere of influence that we have, if we waste the gifts that God has given to us, then we damage our legacy. Because our legacy, like Solomon's, is conditional. So I want to suggest to you today three ways to start building a legacy the right way. Three ways to start building a legacy the right way. And the first way is to define the legacy you hope to leave behind. Define the legacy you hope to leave behind. As you think about the days that are given to you and the gifts that you have, what do you want to do with those days and gifts in the sphere of influence that you have? This is an important conversation for you to have, an important thought process for you to go to, and we have language to help us understand this here at Valley. Because here at Valley, we say our vision is to impact the world for Christ. And to impact the world for Christ is that intangible legacy that we hope to leave behind. And so how will we impact the world for Christ? We impact the world for Christ, for instance, when we build things of beauty as God has created great beauty. We impact the world for Christ when we give life and when we care for those for whom God cares. We impact the world for Christ when, when we heal the broken. We impact the world for Christ when we build justice and righteousness into the world. We always, always impact the world for Christ when we witness to the faith that we have been given in Jesus Christ. And we always, always impact the world for Christ when we make and multiply disciples of Jesus. And so we have to think and we have to define the legacy that we want to start building now. And it should be a process that we do through much prayer and consultation with other Christians. Pray about it, talk to people, and define the legacy that you hope to leave behind. And then second, start building a legacy early if possible. Start building a legacy early if possible. Now, the younger people in the room are probably like, this is just a morbid thought to begin with. What do I want to be known for when I'm gone? I just got here. But Solomon, in his wisdom, began building his legacy immediately in his reign. He began to teach wisdom. He began to write. He started building monuments. He, he engaged in architecture. He built the, the, the bureaucracy of a state. He secured the borders of an empire. 
He amassed great wealth. And because he spent a lifetime doing all of these things, Solomon amassed a significant legacy by the end of his life. Now, there's so much else that happens in the life of Solomon and so many complications to the legacy that he leaves. But it is wise to follow him in starting to build our legacies early because the earlier we start, the more we can impact the world for Christ. Start building your legacy early if possible. But that leads to a third and a must-say kind of thing, and that is ignore the myth that it's too late to start. Ignore the myth that it's too late to start. Because as you think about the past, you may think about the past with regret. You may be thinking about all the ways that you have not built a legacy so far. You may think about the contradictions that are in the legacy that you've built to this point in life. You may be thinking about the way that your legacy has been torn in multiple directions instead of focused in one. Let the past be the past. There's nothing that you can do about that. It's covered by grace. Rather, think in the present. God, what do you want me to do with these days that you have given to me? God, what do you want my legacy to be? God, how do you want me to impact the world for Christ? Because it's God's power that is at work. God works in us and through us, and his power is sufficient to build whatever legacy he's called you to leave behind. Think in today, God, what do you want my legacy to be? And then do it. Impact the world for Christ and leave behind a significant, godly legacy. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of the Valley Avon podcast. If you would like to hear more, you can subscribe for free on any platform you use. If you would like to visit us in person or would like to submit a prayer request, you can visit us on the web at avon.valleycommunity.cc. From all of us here at Valley Community Baptist Church, thank you for coming and have a blessed week.